Our scripture for this morning comes from the gospel according to John, chapter 10, verses 1 through 10. It is Jesus speaking. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Don. Great job. Well, good morning. Hello. Um, I'm Megan Dobrez. I'm one of the pastors here as well. I uh, do college and post-college, so kind of the 18 to 35 range. We're in the midst of a series on identity. Who is Christ, the identity of Christ, and then who are we in Christ? We're looking at the definitive I am statements that are found in the Gospel of John, as, as Don just read. So we started with, uh, I'm the bread of life. I am the vine, and then last week we talked about I am the light of the world, and this week we are talking, uh, looking at chapters, uh, chapter 10, verses 1 to 10, Jesus' statement, um, the gate. So join me as we, in prayer, as we get started. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that we have your word to learn from, to, to listen. Lord, I pray that you would speak clearly to us as a group of individuals uh, and as a, a group who are trying to make a difference for you in our city. Lord, speak to us. Help us to hear you. In your name, amen. So I'm somebody who likes to know a lot about a, a little about a lot of things, uh, mostly because I like participating in conversation. And there's lots of very smart people here at Bethany and then in Seattle. So you have to kind of always be learning in order to keep up with what's going on and, and again, participate in the conversation. To that end, in terms of talking about office environments and workplace organization, the layouts of the workplace, the heyday of the cubicle was in the 80s and the 90s. You know those gray, like short-walled squares that, that existed? They were invented in the late 60s, but they weren't very popular then, but uh, initially. But in the 80s and 90s, when mergers and buyouts and layoffs were, were happening, uh, particularly in white-collar jobs, the cubicles were the solution because you could put a whole bunch of people in the same size space. So you could fit more people in the same size space. Whether you've worked in a cubicle or not, you know that for us, like... 
In our culture, we hate cubicles, right? Like, they're terrible. Made, uh, like, our hatred kind of comes and was fed by the comic strip Dilbert. Uh, and then also, if you ever saw the movie Office Space, you know, the one with the red stapler, uh, the dude whose name is Michael Bolton, but he's not the singer. Like, those, those things, like, really ingrained that we hate cubicles. Cubicles are terrible. So uh, in response to this, like, growing discontent, Designers revisited the open workspace concept. So before cubicles, there was an open workspace concept, much like a classroom where there's rows of desks. They're just all adult size. Uh, but now we're the designers are trying to figure out what to do, and so they come up with this open workspace concept. In 1999, the Harvard Business Review publishes this article talking about the idea of this open workspace, and they're essentially pitching it, saying, this is a great idea. It's going to flatten the organization. It's going to enhance collaboration and communication. It's going to be great. Fast forward to 2016, and a bunch of research done uh, or talked about in Forbes or the Atlantic Monthly, a bunch of other places, uh, where they, they say that though individuals' production hasn't been uh, in consequence or hasn't gotten worse at all with this open workspace environment, uh, the impact has been that the, the levels of stress hormones are higher for those who work in this open space uh, than those who work in, in an enclosed office. So the work, they also have found that people who work in this open workspace, they move a lot less. And not just like getting up and moving to go talk to somebody, but like they touch things on their desk less, like they're, they're, they're still more often, which, you know, we're already concerned that working in offices is going to kill us because we're not moving enough. And now we're really not moving enough uh, with these open space uh, concepts. So additionally, people who work in the office layout of an enclosed space report that that's the, those are the happiest people that are most satisfied with their workspace environment. And those who are the least satisfied, you can probably guess, are those in the open workspace environment. Those who are in cubicles are somewhere there in the middle. Uh, but walls and doors at work make us feel more comfortable. They are found to be less exhausting because it limits the amount of interactions and interruptions. It provides privacy, and part of just self-reporting, there's no research yet that I found on it, is that people say it allows them, walls and doors allow them to have a deeper relationship with their coworkers because they can actually talk about like private stuff rather than just talking about the things that you're okay with everybody hearing because of this open workspace. So there's comfort and there's relaxation behind walls, doors, gates that open big spaces can't provide. Today, we're looking at Jesus saying, I am the gate, or I am the door. It, just depending on which translation you have, uh, they use those two words. Door, gate, wall is imagery that are prevalent throughout scripture to communicate this image of security or safety or identity. For example, the book of Nehemiah, which was used when we had our uh, race and justice event not too long ago, Nehemiah is beckoned back to Jerusalem because he's heard that those who've survived the Babylonian exile uh, are both in trouble and they're in disgrace because the wall around Jerusalem is broken and the gates have been burned. So without the wall and without the gates, not only are Israelites fearful because the surrounding like, people groups are actively trying to oppress them, but they're also, it's a picture of their relationship with God that it's broken, that it's burned. As the walls and the gates get rebuilt, they find their identity as God's people again. 
They begin to engage with God, reading the scripture, reading the law, confessing their sin. And within the security of the wall and within gates, more Israelites move back to Jerusalem from exile. They, they start coming home. Whether it's within the walls of our office or it's within the boundaries of our home or our faith, we know what to do behind those boundaries, right? We know what to do behind those walls generally. We know how to be. Often it feels like we want all the space and all the flexibility because that would be great. But we find from this study that it is great and it's not going to kill you, but it is going to stress you out more than walls. And in general, you're not going to have as much satisfaction in life. In John 10, when we look at it, as Don just read, there seems to be some mixed metaphors here because Jesus calls himself the gate or the door, but then he also calls himself the shepherd. That seems really like two different things for us. Like, are you the gate? Are you the door? Are you the shepherd? What are you? Uh, but for first century shepherds, this is actually all one thing, one metaphor. Because oftentimes, a sheep pen had a wall around it and then an opening that didn't necessarily have a gate or a door. And so it just was this open space that the sheep and the shepherds came in and out of, not unlike a cubicle. Uh, but instead, at night, since there was no door, the, while the sheep are sleeping, the shepherd would lie in front of that open space uh, in order to keep the sheep in and keep the sheep safe, but then also to keep the predators out. Like he's both the door, the gate, and the shepherd at the same time. So hopefully that clears things up just a little bit. So as Jesus the shepherd describes himself as the door, we see throughout this passage that there are three important qualities of doors. Doors provide safety, a door is installed, and doors have hinges. So important qualities of doors are that they provide safety. Because at night, when you hear that sound, you're like, what was that? What's the first thing you think? Did I lock the door, right? Doors provide safety. The very premise of having a door or a gate is because we feel as if our houses, our yards need to be able to either keep things out, thieves, wild animals, or the weather, or we need to keep things in. Uh, domesticated animals, heat, and sometimes people. My niece, one of my nieces just turned 11 months, and when I go visit her, their house is like this gauntlet of baby gates. Like, to get around, you really have to, uh, and all the gates are not the same, which makes it even harder, but uh, you have to get around because my niece doesn't know that the stairs and the kitchen and the television are dangerous. She doesn't know she should stay away from those things. Sometimes doors are there to keep us safe from the outside, but sometimes doors are there to keep us safe from ourself. Jesus describes himself as this door or gate and the shepherd, and he describes the role in this passage of 1 to 10. In verse 3, he says the shepherd leads the sheep. In verse 9, the shepherd saves his sheep. John 10, Jesus is talking to a group of Pharisees, essentially these professors or these experts on what we now know as the Old Testament, and when they're hearing this, they would instantly think of Ezekiel 34, 1 to 8, which, among other things, gives the job description of shepherds. It says that the shepherds are supposed to take care of the flock, search for the lost sheep, and make sure that they're safe from wild animals. Throughout the scriptures, this word picture of sheep and shepherd is commonly used to depict uh, 
God and his people in the Old Testament. In 1 Kings 22, 17, says, Israel is scattered on the hills like sheep without a shepherd. And in the New Testament, it's used to describe Christ and his church. So Mark 14, 27, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Shepherds lead their sheep. They keep them safe because sheep on their own don't have the resources to save themselves. Isaiah 53, 6 articulates this, not talking about animals, but talking about humans. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. Well, that sounds about right. Who of us, at some point, hasn't like known what we were supposed to do, forged ahead to find out only it was very wrong? Like, whoops, bad idea. Years and years ago, uh, we went on a like a staff retreat here, and the staff w- retreat was much like the staff was much smaller back then, probably 10 to 12 people. So we go on this retreat, and as we're on this retreat, we're like doing these team building exercises. So we're splitting the two people, and I am trying to remember who else was on my team, but I don't remember anybody but that Phil was on my team. <coughs> so we're given this task and told like, here are the parameters, like you have to do this with this amount of time, you can't do these sorts of things. And it's like built on time. Whoever does it, whatever team does it first, will win. And so uh, we're, we're given this task, <laughs> And so we start working, and I'm feeling the pressure of the time, right? Like, I love winning, feeling the pressure of the time. So people are throwing ideas out, and I'm like, great, let's just do some of these ideas. Like, why are we keeping talking about more ideas, which maybe some of our first ideas will work? Like, let's do these. And Phil's like, no, let's just give it what, like, let's put all the ideas out. Let's talk about what we should do. Let's make a plan before we do it, because maybe we'll waste time by trying some of these ideas that if we gave it two seconds more of thought, we would know they wouldn't work. So let's just make a plan. And so this kind of goes back and forth. People are giving ideas. I'm saying we should do it. Phil's saying we should wait. And I figure out the game. The game is that we're put together in these teams and what they're trying to teach us is that we all need to be on the same page in order to work together and Phil is a plant. He's like trying to ruin our, like our team. He's trying to make us lose by saying no to all these ideas and that we should like slow down and take, a, take, a, take our time and make a plan. So I figure out like he's trying to make us lose. This makes total sense. So I tell everybody, guys, this is what they're trying to teach us, that we all need to be on the same page. And Phil's like purposely trying to ruin this for us. So don't listen to Phil. I'm, and he's like, why am I the plant? Why couldn't you be the plant? Like, I don't, you like, you have no evidence of this. I'm like, it's so obvious look at this. So we go back and forth for about a minute. And, and Phil and I have a really great relationship. So it's not like fighting, but we're yelling at each other for sure. Uh, so then the organizer comes over and she's like, what's going on? And I said, oh, I figured out your game. I know Phil's the plant. And she goes, Megan, there is no plant. Like it's just about working together and solving the problem. And instantly I feel terrible, right? Because I've been telling Phil that he's actively trying to make us lose when it's just the way that he sees things, right? Like, I want to just feel in the pressure of time, run in the direction and figure it out as we go. And he wants to make a plan and do it the right way the first time. So there, there really was no good or bad, but I feel terrible that I'm like lobbying people to not listen to Phil. The worst part about the situation was that finally, by the time we figure out a way to do this, the solution we discover is that somebody will need to be on the back of somebody else. And given our team, it only makes sense that I am on Phil's back. And so I'm on Phil's back going, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. If you feel like you need to drop me, totally understandable. Like, 
I, I get it, it was my fault. I was way off, like I was convinced that I knew what we were doing and I was way off. We all, like sheep, have gone astray and turned to our own way. There are sometimes for sure that we do this on accident. We think we know what we're supposed to be doing. We head in a direction and we happen to be wrong. But then there's other times that we know what we're doing is not God's best, where we know we're distracting ourselves so we don't have to pay attention or interact with that situation or that conversation, or we know that we're doing things that will make us feel good instantly so we don't have to deal with the deeper hurts in our hearts. And how many times have we resolved to do something like, okay, this is the thing, I really struggle with it, this is the week. I'm going to stop doing that or I'm going to start doing that. Like, well, this is the season of my life that I'm going to do that. And sometimes we do it for a little while. Sometimes we don't do it at all. We're just not able to, um, with particular things, to like do them, to stick to them. Jesus is trying to stop the Pharisees from going astray. Because in chapter 9, there's Jesus heals the blind man who had been blind since birth. The blind man, stoked about this, obviously, goes and tells the Pharisees, look, Jesus has healed me. And they're like, wait a second. No, no, he didn't. He should not have done that on the Sabbath. He's a sinner. They like really amp things up. He's a sinner. You're a sinner. Get out of here. Like they just do not respond well to this revelation whether they've missed the memo of what God's doing or whether they got the memo and shredded it, I don't know. But Jesus is trying to tell them, he's trying to tell us that we need him to be our shepherd. We need him to be at our door. Until we know, until we believe or accept that we cannot have life and have it to the full without Jesus, we're left using our own tools, the only resources that we have of trying harder, working longer, rallying folks to our cause and interest so that we can work the system, blaming someone or something for our anger, our disappointment, our bitterness, our lack of fulfilled dreams. We're left with putting all of our hope in efficiency, that things will get better or that that sense of accomplishment or value will last longer next time. The door is not only to keep the sheep safe from the outside, it's also there to keep the sheep safe from themselves our own ability to go astray. All the things that are constantly trying to drag us away into varying directions, vying for our attention, pulling us toward itself, away from Christ, the promise of a shortcut that for sure will work, a fun, risky behavior to be admired by that group of people that you really want to admire you. To say yes to Jesus as the door, we first have to acknowledge that our environment is dangerous, that it's hazardous, that it's unsafe. It does not want the best for us and that we cannot successfully navigate it on our own in a way that gives us a sense of full life. Rather, we need Jesus, the shepherd, to be the door to keep us safe from going astray. One of our old pastors, Joe Springer, used to say that choosing to follow Jesus was as easy as falling off a log, which if you think about it, like, that actually is pretty easy. I just have to lean a little bit and I'll fall off the log. But then on the other hand, you think it's, it's, it's actually really challenging to fall off a log because everything in me says to not fall off the log, to like stay on the log. Even if I know I should, like it's, I, I think, no, I can make it across or I got this, I don't need to. Like it's actually pretty difficult to make yourself fall off a log. But it's a really good imagery. 
Once we say yes to the safety of Jesus as the door, it means that we are no longer quite as stressed in the big open spaces, in the unknown of our life, nor are we counting on the height of our walls around us to keep us safe, that there are enough gates to keep out the danger, or even that the door is shut. But we're counting on Jesus, Jesus who will decide when the doors are open and when they're shut in order to keep us safe. This safety does not encounter or does not guarantee no encounters with thieves or robbers, nor does it promise any sort of particular life, but it does promise life everlasting with a shepherd who loves us so deeply and is committed to the future of both the world and every individual in it. My first dog as an adult was this 80 pound golden retriever, which is a big female um, golden retriever. But uh, for the most part, she was only afraid of two things, fireworks and, um, and thunder, which loud noises, understandable. But she also, the only other thing she was afraid of was uh, bags of dog food. So I took this picture because I knew no one would ever believe me. Uh, this is our house. <clears throat> There's a bag of dog food. There's a dog. And I had to like coax her to get to this bag of dog food. And you can still kind of see her like keeping an eye on that tricky bag. Um, when I would bring home these bags of dog food, she would run like I was chasing her with lit firecrackers. Like she would run away and hide. And I don't know whatever happened, what the dog bag of dog food ever did to her. Uh, but it's, it's kind of silly to go, oh, first of all, you weigh more than this. Second of all, it feeds you. Like, why are you so afraid of it? Uh, it's silly about that. But I do wonder how many things do we perceive as danger and want to shut the door or run away, but God, it's, God knows it's not danger, that it's, he's calling us to things that maybe look a little bit different than what we're used to, or something, a new opportunity that we can't see what the end will be, or change, or not enough change. I could never convince that dog in all the years that I had her that she did not have to be afraid of dog food. And in fact, I did a lot of other things to keep her safe from the the things that actually she should be afraid of uh, in order for her not to interact with that. I took great measures to make sure she was safe and God does the same thing for us. But unlike my care of an animal, uh, Jesus the shepherd knows each of our names and is perfect at caring for us. Promising in Isaiah 41.10, do not fear for I am with you. Do not be dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I know for sure there are things in this world, there are situations that are unsafe, that are wrong, that are not from God. But there are also things that we're calling unsafe, that we're staying away from because really they're uncomfortable or they're challenging, painful, scary, make us look at a version of ourselves that we don't want to look at. Jesus the door is here to keep us, his sheep, those who recognize his voice, safe, to keep them safe, to have full and abundant life. So Jesus as the door provides the right kind of security. But to follow him and the security he's offering, we must know his voice and the door has to be in place. 
So there's this important quality of doors is safety. And the second important quality of doors is that they're installed. I have a very, very handy father. He's one of those like can do anything, like walks into a situation and can solve the problem. He has a history in carpentry, but he just kind of is a very creative man. So in my world, literally, doors have been used as last-minute tables uh, for dinner parties. My desk throughout all of college was a door. That same door slash desk. It's now a shelf in one of their homes. Like, it has really seen it all. Uh, Doors can be used to kill a patch of grass. They can be used to cover a hole. They can be put onto sawhorses and made into like a makeshift scaffold. Like, really, doors can can do a lot of things. Uh, My dad's very crafty in, in solving immediate problems. The door was really being used, though, in any way that, or in a way that any piece of wood generally could be used. It wasn't what the door was specifically intended for. For a door to be a door, it has to be put in place. That means filling the hole in the wall, interior or exterior, that allows or doesn't allow passage. As we discussed, of course, doors provide safety. That safety first comes by agreeing that we need a door and the way that the shepherd is offering us a door. He's not just giving us a piece of wood and say, hey, do with it what you want, be creative. He's saying, I'm offering you a door, and it's going to be what a door is intended to be. Because of this analogy of like Jesus and the sheep, I've been doing a lot of like video watching and reading about sheep and shepherds like today. Uh, and so I've, I've read a lot of books. I've, I've well, not books, but like portions of books um, and videos about how sheep or how shepherds communicate with their sheep, and uh, that each shepherd has their own sound that they teach their sheep. Right. So when it's time to go, the shepherd does their sound or call, and uh, and the sheep, their sheep alone follow. This is like so specific that a group of sheep can be in a pen together, like different herds of sheep, or can be like in the in the beautiful grassy area together um, with, again, other sheep. The one sheep shepherd gives his call and just his sheep come. Like the others know to stay, his sheep come or her sheep if there's women shepherds out there. Uh, this is like such a big deal that if a new sheep, adult sheep, joins the flock for whatever reason, they're bartered, they're sold, whatever, until they learn the new sound when, as all the other sheep are leaving, they'll begin to get really anxious and agitated waiting for their sound because, you know, everyone else has left, but they haven't heard their sound yet, so, so they, they won't leave. They'll just stay there waiting for their sound. Uh, you actually don't need to read all this stuff or understand animal husbandry to know exactly what this is like. You just have to go to Costco on a Saturday and get separated from the person that you came with because all of a sudden you're like walking around listening for that very specific way that they call your name, right? It's like a, a, it's like a thing you guys have or maybe even a particular sound that you use to get each other's attention. You can I see lots of people glancing at each other. Uh, they know what that's like. As a child, for me, that sound was the jingling of my mom's keys. I was apparently some sort of key savant that um, I could like really tell the sound of my mom's keys, and the, and they were different than the sound of my dad's keys, and they were different from the rest of the world's keys. So like I knew my mom's keys sound. So when I would get lost, or more aptly, I would just stop to look at something. Uh, when I'd hear the keys, I'd be like, "Whoops! You know, time to go. Time to." follow them, trying to catch up, whatever it is. That was uh, me knowing that my mom was calling me, essentially. 
It's funny because many times since then, she's like, man, I wish there would have been something else. Like I felt pretty silly shaking my keys in the middle of Costco. And I'm like, oh, sorry, lady, you made me. Uh, but that sound, that word, that voice is needed for us to be able to follow our shepherd, Jesus. We can only follow him, go, which, the, go the right way when we know the sound of his voice, when we know what he's calling us to, to go a certain way, to hold up, to catch up, to say, hey, it's free time, do whatever you want to do. Sheep know their shepherd's voice because they spend a ton of time with him. They're in relationship. We're in relationship with God. There are some things that the Bible mentions that will help us hear our shepherd a little bit better. The first is being open to all God has to say. John, in John 10 here, the Pharisees are, he, are getting a chance to hear from God, and they do not want to hear it. They know what they, what they want. They know what God, the Messiah, should look like, and that's not like that, so they don't want anything out of it. They tell the blind man, get out of here. So Jesus is, in many ways, is saying, listen to the whole story. Get all of the information we hear more of the shepherd's voice, honestly, when we read our Bibles. And you're like, oh, great, a pastor's telling me to read my Bible. But like, really, for sure, in 2 Timothy 3.16, it says, all scripture is God-breathed. When we know what the scripture says, we know God better, we know his character better. In the same way, we're listening the, for the truth through a variety of, of resources. Whether there's like something we're thinking, oh, maybe I should do this. We run it through scripture and like that gives us the green light. So we run it by friends and they're like, yeah, that sounds about legitimate. Or no, I think you should hold up. Uh, we run it through a variety of resources. So the first reference was 2 Timothy 3.16. This reference is 1 Timothy 3.16 described as Jesus appeared in the flesh, was vindicated by the spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world and was taken up to glory. Like there's a bunch of checkpoints in there, right? It's not like just believe us, just trust. But there's all these checkpoints that we can use to see if we're really hearing from God. And the fourth way that we can hear a little bit better is picking up the nonverbal cues that God speaks through all of his creation, every single part. Creation confirms his character, confirms his message. Job 12, seven to nine says, but ask the animals and they will teach you, or the birds of the sky and they will tell you, or speak to the earth and it will teach you, or let the fish in the sea inform you, which, which of all of these does not know the hand of the Lord has done this. Really, so many different ways that we can build this muscle of, of listening and hear the voice of our shepherd a little bit better. When we're in relationship with Jesus, we can use all of the resources available to us. Of course, prayer and scripture and each other, community, service, creation, so many ways. All of them will give us a chance to get to know his voice a little bit better. This is seriously a self-discipline for me. I spend a lot of portions of my week like studying the Bible to prep for something or to lead something. And there really is a difference for me when I just read the Bible for fun, like I'm fed in a different way, but it's really hard to do because I'm like, oh, boring, I've been in the Bible all week. But it is, it is a self-discipline and feeds me in a different way that takes effort, uh, but is, is worth it. And as time passes, it gets easier, the voice gets clearer, and it's a vital thing to remember that Jesus wants to be our shepherd. He wants to be the door. He's not trying to hide himself from us. There are times when I think I hear my mom's keys, right? And I'll look up even now and like, 
oh, is my mom here? That's weird. Uh, and sometimes she is, but the majority of the time she's not. Uh, and if I, if I look around and I don't see her, I just kind of go back to what I'm doing. The, the same is true, I'm sure, for a lot of us. Like, we thought we felt our, our cell phone vibrate, and so we, like, pick it up, and sometimes there's a message, and oftentimes there's not. We just thought that we felt it. But whether it's the phone or whether it's the keys, if, there's, if something is trying to get our attention and we miss it, they'll try again. It's not like my mom jingled her keys, I looked up, didn't see her, and she's like, well, good luck living in Costco. Like, I'm out. <laughs> Uh, but she'll jingle them again, right? She wants me to get her, or she wants to get my attention. But when you think you hear his voice, look up, stop for a second, check it out, see if it is God or not. Jesus wants us to know him. He wants us to hear him. He wants us to be in relationship with him. Just take some, some effort and some time to figure out what his voice sounds like. So far from this passage, we know verse, in verse 9 that whomever enters through Jesus, the door will be saved. A relationship with Jesus offers us safety. And then the rest of that verse says he, referring to the sheep, will come in and go out and find pasture. So the last quality of a door is that a door has hinges. Though we are saved through Jesus... We're not saved only to stay safe or to stay in whether it's only the pen or only the pasture. It's this process of following and moving that continues to expose us to the experiences that will give us the full life that God promises us, that Jesus is offering. The full life is often very similar to who we are now and what we're experiencing now, but with less sharp corners and overall a more kind, loving generous version of ourselves. Hopefully, you've been around here enough to know that we in no way think that a relationship with Jesus is just a coupon, like out of hell into heaven, but rather, uh, of course, you get the coupon to have life eternity, uh, but also there's saving right now that God is offering us, freeing us from our current places of indentured servitude, or even straight-up enslavement to those things that woo us away from Christ with their promise of fun or satisfaction or the things that we just straight-up run after because they look cool. Coming in and going out is this imagery of just the regular rhythms of life that God has put in place in order for us to have new experiences. In the same way that our external doors have been closed a lot this winter, like you just kind of squeeze in real quick to keep the cold out. When it comes to summer, we'll open those doors up and we'll let the breeze come in. We're in these different seasons. This coming and going, this pictures of rhythm of life, there are lots of things. Sometimes we hang out in the pen, sometimes we hang out in the pasture, and they can metaphorically be almost anything. They can represent a lot of things. You can represent the pen as rest and the, the pasture as work. That works. Uh, you can represent the, the pen and the pasture as celebration in one and mourning in the other. Where Places where we share about ourselves in one or places where we just listen to others. Where we heal from relationships in one and uh, in other places where we risk in relationship. The point is, is that we need the pen Humans, uh, we need these pen, but we also really need the pasture. Jesus is leading us into both, and they're places where we need to be. 
one of the many differences between sheep and humans is that we have a preference for which we would rather be in, that we lean more towards one aspect and not towards another aspect. But this in and out implies that we need both. Uh, I see a physical therapist on the regular because uh, everybody's body is like this apparently, but I do a variety of types of exercising, but there are certain muscles that really like wanna do it all. And so I go to the physical therapist in order to like get those other muscles in the game because uh, you can elaborate on what this is like. Like the muscles that are working that really shouldn't be working are now getting injured because they're doing things that they aren't supposed to do because these other muscles are taking a break and don't want to work. Uh, but we know what this is like. We're comfortable with certain things and really uncomfortable in others. We have a preference, but God the gate has saved us to go in and out with safety of him as our shepherd, that we can explore these areas uh, that maybe we've been burned by in the past or maybe we're just not as comfortable with or it's not our personal preference or the way our personality is but he's leading us into these new places, and if it's where he is, it's where we wanna be, and he promises that he'll keep us safe. Christ, the shepherd, is moving us into places that we need to be. He will let us know when it's time to move in, when it's time to move out. He will, as we learn his voice, we'll know when we need to talk and when we need to listen, when we need to just sit and take it all in, or when we need to be an activist and go do something about it. Because of all these things, we're in this ongoing process of, of learning from him in these places that he takes us. One of the reasons that we like doors and walls is because they provide us with a sense of safety and provide us with a sense of comfort, specifically around, like, we all have our particular walls that we feel more comfortable around. Again, Jesus the shepherd promises us to be safe, but he also tells us to stop trusting the walls that we've built. Stop trusting the things that we've built for our own benefit, a stock portfolio, a circle of influential people that we know, or high levels of education. Instead, he's saying to lean into the walls and doors that he's been building through us for the benefit of all humankind to flourish. Again, be that through money or education or relationships. He knows who should come in and who should come out. He knows how wide the gate should be, how tall the walls should be. And when we lean into his, his leading, we worry a lot less about who's in and who's out and how big that gate is and if the door's open or if it's shut. We can just worry about where he's leading us and, and what we do in the pasture or in the pen, what he's inviting us to so that we can grow, have these new experiences and be the person that he's, he's calling us to be. Jesus is the gate through which we have safety and we find our true life. He gives us true life not by, by not wasting one single of our experiences. He uses all of those experiences to shape us, to form us, and thereby shape and form the world. All of us are in different places in interaction with our shepherd today. Like, do we trust that Jesus is, is who he says he is and we have that relationship with him? Do we maybe think we might wanna have that sort of relationship with him? Or are we in a place where God has led us into a pen or a pasture that we don't know what to do with this place? Like he's brought us here, but we don't know how to interact with it. And I really would encourage us as we close to take a beat and, and pray about that. Talk to the shepherd, whether it's talking to him because you want 
to begin to trust him or whether it's talking to him to be like, what in the world am I doing here? I have a decision ahead of me and I don't know what you're calling me to. But do talk to him before you go. Join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you care about us, that you want us to know you, and that you are not trying to be tricky. I do pray, Lord, for those in this room who are faced with, with uh, decisions to make or things in front of them that they don't, want, don't know what to do, that you would use every means necessary to communicate to them what you want. Uh, and Lord, even if it doesn't matter, they can just do whatever they want, that you would communicate that too. Lord, please be our safety. Help us to lean into you in the places where we don't know that to be true yet or we don't trust that to be true. In your name, amen.